Welcome to Imaginarium, an alternate history of art, a podcast where we delve into the most obscure parts of art history. Hello, dear listeners. I'm your host, Naja, and in this podcast, we try to shed light on less studied parts of the history of art and visual culture. This second episode of the mini-series on the Golden Age of Illustration will be on the world of prints and ink illustration during the later years of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th century, and we'll dive especially into those extremely stylized black-and-white illustrations with artists such as Aubrey Birdsley, Harry Clark, and Jesse Marion King to really think about how sometimes we don't necessarily need color to create compelling art and how the power of the line can sometimes be all that is needed to create a striking illustration. We'll talk about decadent art, aestheticism and ink illustration. And also, as this is a mini-series on the Golden Age of Illustration, and I am trying to somewhat organize this thematically as well as chronologically, I'll encourage you to start by episode one before you listen to this one, just to help set the scene and the context of the Golden Age of Illustration. And on this, my very lovely listeners... Let's start. For this episode, we'll set the scene in the later years of the 19th century, until roughly the beginning of the 1920s. Aestheticism and the art of decadence were some of the many art styles of the late 19th century. These genres were very peculiar, and especially in how they were going against the very strict codes and norms of the Victorian society. I mean, one of the things the Victorians are known for is definitely their repression on almost all levels of life, and also the colonialism, but today we're mostly talking about the repression. Those movements were a mirror of the social anxieties of a time where social and gender norms were extremely codified and structured. And the slightest deviancy from it was extremely frowned upon. It is the kind of art that artists and writers such as Aubrey Bursley, Oscar Wilde, and others created that was thus born in this very specific socio-historical context and tended to challenge the very rigid system that were put in place. Aestheticism, or the aesthetic movement, as it is also sometimes called, is a genre that wanted to create art for art's sake. 
this movement wanted to put forth the act of really taking pleasure in sensualism and visual enjoyment. It was simply to create something beautiful, just for the sake of enjoying beauty and aesthetic pleasure, and not necessarily to attribute a moral or social message onto the art they created, and maybe just a bit to disturb the status quo, just a tiny bit. As inoffensive as this aim might seem at first glance, this movement deeply shocked the general public of the era and caused a stir in a society that was weirdly bent on not enjoying itself. Even though we now mostly discuss aestheticism when it comes to the art world and visual art, this movement was one that permeated all spheres of life and was more of a lifestyle rather than simply an art movement. It had an emphasis on personal self-expression rather than conforming to the social trends and fashions. Aubrey Bursley, born in 1874, is probably the most well-known and notable artist of that specific subcategory of the golden age of illustration. He definitely was not the only one created in this genre, but he was one of the very first ones, as well as one of the most prominent names of the genre during this time. Still to this day, despite his extremely short career, Bradley is an artist who died extremely young, at only 25 years old, with an illustration career that barely lasted six years, and yet he left a mark on art history that truly cannot be erased. He influenced countless of artists after him, and he was incredibly significant on the overall trajectory of art history in the last decade of the 19th century. He was so ridiculously young, and yet so, so ridiculously talented as well. During those years, the last years of the 19th century, he was known as being the embodiment of the spirit of these years, especially in art, in the same way as Oscar Wilde was for literature. Bertley even illustrated Oscar Wilde's theatre play Salome in 1894 and those illustrations really were some of the pieces of art that were really representative of the decadent fin du siècle aesthetic. The way Bertsley worked when he illustrated books or any illustration that was meant to go hand in hand with a specific text, he created images to complement the text rather than directly illustrate it which means that he did not necessarily take direct scenes from the text from the book he was commissioned to illustrate it, but more so that he created an illustration that would fit with the ambiance and atmosphere of the story, with the vibes of it, let's say. Which, when you think about it, means that you do not necessarily need to have the complete context of the story, and fully understand these illustrations. 
which is not always the case when it comes to illustrations of the golden age as some of them really are an intimate companion to the texts and stories they complete. There was some drama here when it comes to the to this publishing because while did not like these illustrations, considering them and I paraphrase here as quote unquote the naughty scribbles a precious schoolboy makes in the margins of his copybook. That's harsh. <laughs> that is really harsh, but also it's wild. So, you know, I personally think that some of that anger Matt, might have to do with the fact that Birdsley might have parodied him in the background of several illustrations. Who knows? <laughs> So there was some drama there. Art history is very funny sometimes when you think about the gossip and the feuds between the artists. It is all very entertaining, to be quite honest. If if I remember correctly, there was even a season dedicated to the most popular rivalries in art history in the podcast Art Curious which I also hugely recommend if you want to know more about this subject and get the tea about the various rivalries and feuds that existed throughout art history. It is quite a fun time. When it comes to his inspirations, there were artists such as Kate Greenaway and Edward Burne-Jones, whom I have already mentioned before in this podcast, as well as the general engouement for Japanese print that was going around in during that era. And I'll just talk about it briefly just to put everything in context in case you haven't listened to the first season of Imaginarium or you forgot, which is also very fun. But during the second half of the 19th century, Japan opened its border to the Western world. And so a lot of works of art and artifacts made their way for the first time ever in the foreign swords of Europe. So there was a lot of interest and passion for these new works of art with a movement called Japanism, which was basically hugely inspired by Japanese art. So this Orientalist attitude toward Japanese art was simply in the spirit of the times. And thus, the flat color, the woodblood printing techniques, as well as the very clean lines, were a huge inspiration and influence on the artists of the time. Birdsley was thus not an exception to this. He was also an extremely productive artist, and as he was also very sick of, of tuberculosis, it seems like he wanted to make sure he could create and draw as much as possible and have his art given to the world as long as he could. Firstly, created amazing works such as his 300 illustrations for Le Morte d'Archer by Thomas Mallory. I have talked a bit about him actually and these particular illustrations of his in the fourth episode of the first season of Imaginarium. In... Arthurian imagery in art. 
But the inspiration for these were deeply from the pre-Raphaelite depictions of the medieval era. So these illustrations were created with a very romanticized and idealized perceptions of these times of chivalry and romance in the same visual aesthetic that Birdsley really came to be known for. He also created a lot of light, well, to be plain, very explicit and erotic art, let's say. He's definitely used his art to provoke whether the Victorian sensibilities about subjects such as sex and gender, or also to critique materialism and corruption. There is a very provocative and subversive quality to some of the work of this artist. Some illustrations that are very erotic and yet deeply unserious and full of humor and others or wanting to really make a point on the society of the era. There was definitely an exploration of the grotesque in his art in a way that was very unique and definitely shocking to the public of the era. Well, at least in public. The Victorian in England are a very interesting bunch, to be sure. They, they had one of the strictest and most repressed societies I have seen the need of conformity and uniformity was a really strong pressure during that time. And yet the underbelly of the Victorian era is, well, very intense to be sure. It was a very peculiar period with an obvious repression and codified society. But behind closed doors happened a lot of things. Let's just leave it at that. When it comes to Birdsley, he had a very distinct manner of working that he kept secret during all his lived years, and that only got uncovered afterwards by his biographer. But basically he was creating the artwork from the sketch to the final on the same sheet of paper. He used a pencil sketch and worked with the use of Chinese or Indian ink. He drew with large areas of black, and he sometimes would experiment with what he called his blood blood method, which was a technique that consisted in dropping a single blood of ink on the paper and then move it around and use it as a starting point or incorporate it into his composition. There is a definite gothic quality that is very present in the work of Birdsley. His use of a monochrome art style made the complexity and yet clarity of his line shine even more than if it used color, an addition that would ultimately have probably, in my opinion, cluttered the pieces with how complex the lines were and how heavily it relied on the intricacy of the line. Contrarily to the mainstream art in the world of fine arts, which was still very much reliant on a more painterly style of art. It is a very visually striking art that utilizes the medium of ink, a black and white aesthetic, as well as a high contrast. And it is something that became highly fashionable during those years. 
artists such as Jesse Marion Kane, Harry Clark, Annie French, and Sidney Herbert Sim were such artists that really made good use of the line work in their art, whether on a more minimalist aesthetic or with more intricate visuals. It was the first and main artistic tool that they had. It was the starting point of the art in itself, but the results they created out of it was so very sophisticated. The appeal of the simple line work became something that really visually is striking during that period of transition between the 19th century and 20th century. As the line work became both more streamlined and yet in a position more intricate. Harry Clark is an Irish illustrator of the late 19th century and the early 20th century. He was mostly known for his illustrations but also for his particular work in glass stained art. This reflects the new ideas as to what is considered real art and that not simply being fine art but also craftsmanship and the decorative arts for example. We'll get a bit more into this next episode as we'll be talking about Art Nouveau and Art Deco so please anticipate so Clark was also an important part of the movements of arts and crafts in Ireland, mainly with the Arts and Crafts Society of Ireland, which lasted from 1894 to 1925. So during the 19th century, there was definitely an Irish cultural movement and Celtic revival that was a way to support and value the national pride of Ireland and its unique identity, especially within the context of the English colonization. We all know that colonizing is the English favorite pastimes and of course this desire was also expressed through the visual culture of the era. There was a desire to make beautiful things by Irish artists using Irish materials and the, and the historical influences of Celtic metalwork, illuminations, and jewelry. Clark stained glass work is incredibly characteristic and different from the more traditional and gothic. And I use this term in its original sense, as from the Goths during the medieval era. Way of creating stained glass art, the windows he created were haunting and colorful and were also very dotted, this time in the way we now understand the word. And he was simply an extremely versatile artist, putting his hands not only on stained art and illustration, but bookbinding, textiles, and paintings. He really embodied the fundamentals of the art and crafts when it comes to 
giving value to craftsmanship as a whole. I admit I personally prefer his illustration work, which I think is honestly so intricately beautiful and yet so creepy, which is a combination I absolutely adore. So, since we're here, let's dive in a bit in his illustration and commission work. He was working as an illustrator in the Golden Age, mostly toward the end of it. So during the 1910s and the 1920s, before his very early death in 1931 at the very young age of 41 years old, he illustrated works such as the fairy tales of Hans Christian Andersen, as well as as well as the creepy and gothic tales of Edgar Allan Poe, which to me are the pinnacle of his body of work. He was very influenced by the work of Birdsley, but also of Klimt and the symbolism movement, as well as the newly emerged influence of Art Deco, which is a subject that we will be touching on during the next episode. Albeit his work is visually really close to Birdsley in the sense that he uses more fluid lines, which fits neatly as well with the later influence of Art Nouveau. His historical references were mostly from Celtic and pre-Christian influences, which brought a very otherworldly mysticism and frankly almost horrific dimension to his art in some way. It is not something that is warm and joyful and it is something that looks delicate, but it is quasi-monstrous and macabre. Clark had a marked taste for the morbid in his art, which definitely explains, in my opinion, why he is to this day one of the most gothic and eeriest illustrators of Edgar Allan Poe, as his art is quote-unquote swinging from the grotesquely macabre to the sublimely beautiful, unquote. As said in the documentary Harry Clark, Darkness in Light, director John J. Dorothy, Edgar Allan Poe is one of the most well-known authors of the mid-19th century. His dotted tales of the supernatural, mental illnesses, and social issues, as well as the very dark side of human nature, are still widely read to this day. On top of being one of the originator of the detective story, Poe's writing dealt with the grotesque the monstrous and the terrifying, and the art that was used to illustrate those stories reflected that. These stories were illustrated by countless artists, notably one, Aubrey Bursley, that we might have mentioned earlier, and the themes of Poe's work fit neatly that with the ones that were circulating in the movement of decadence, especially with the moral panic and society's 
anxiety about the degeneration of societies in Britain and generally European culture around the end of the 19th century. Of course, the dotted world of Poe really lends itself well to these themes, and it is something that these artists were really exploring. Harry Clark illustrated Poe's tales of mystery and imagination in 1919. His art for these stories is disturbing and eerie. Clark explores the morbid in a way that is incredibly delicate and beautiful. After all, as Donatart said it best, beauty is terror. And Harry Clark understands it intrinsically in his illustrations. Those images do not shy away of using large washes of black ink to contrast with the characters and the scenes that are depicted. Clark was not the only artist to take dark subjects as a source of inspiration, especially during that era of the esoteric and of an interest in ghost stories and mummy curses. There was a general fascination with the themes of death and of the supernatural in the later years of the 19th century and up until the 1920s that was very much in the mainstream culture. I'll talk about this artist more in a later episode, but I genuinely would be remiss if I did not at least mention Kay Nielsen's work, especially his series of illustrations for The Book of Death. Born in 1886, Nielsen is a Danish artist and that is an incredibly important and prominent artist of the golden age of illustration, especially toward the later part of the era, more toward the 19-teens and 1920s and onwards. And I want to mostly mention and highlight now his very distinctive black and white art and the visible influences of the aestheticism in these styles of his lines and the composition of his works of art. This particular series of illustrations for the Book of Death were first exhibited by Nielsen in London in 1912, shortly after his first arrival in the city. And while they were never published in book form, it is still an incredibly beautiful series of narrative illustration and art. It is a series of 10 illustrations that follows the story of Pierrot being overwhelmed by sadness over the death of his beloved. These illustrations follow the devastating emotions of loss, grief and mourning. And they are truly striking and heartbreaking. His very intricate line work definitely take inspiration from the artists preceding him and who paved the way for him. The elegance and delicateness of his line was so lovely and he has such a talent for emotional composition. I'll just have to stop here with T. Nielsen. I know I have not said much about him, but... Fear not, my darlings, I have so much more to say, but 
this will be for a later moment. It will play a bigger role in the overarching story of the golden age of illustration, but I really now want to highlight his art time and the way he visually fits within the general aesthetic of the later years of the 19th century. As he definitely belongs with the movements of aestheticism and the black and white art of decadence and symbolism on a visual level. The illustrations of Sidney Herbert's theme are incredibly lovely and He's an artist I discovered while I was researching for this podcast, and he's less known than a lot of his contemporaries, but he was an amazing artist who did a lot of paintings as well as illustrations, and one of my favorite of his is the illustrations called Romance Comes Down Out of Hilly Woodlands from A Dream of Stills which was written by Lord Dusany in 1910. It is a figure intricately and complicatedly covered by ornate fabrics, a huge feathered hat, and perched on a unicorn descending down the hills. It is so evocative and mysterious and magical. I am so utterly charmed by the illustrations him drew for this collection of fantasy short stories. He was a very mysterious figure in life, and it is one of those artists that we still don't know much about. But he was often compared to William Blake for the richness of imagination, his the fantasy, the creativity, and mystery, especially when it comes to his colorful oil paintings of incredibly vivid landscapes on which he drew uncanny and terrifying figures. He is a lesser-known figure of the Golden Age because, unlike a lot of his contemporaries, he absolutely disliked the idea of exhibiting his work, which means that, unlike Kane Nielsen's or Warwick Double, for example, he had mostly faded into obscurity after the First World War. But most importantly, he seems to have this uncanny ability to capture the uneasiness of folklore and fantasy. And a way to represent the moment in horror, where things stumble from normal into a terrifying situation. A talent that is very precious for any artist. He really blended reality and fantasy and married the two to create an incredibly complex pictorial universe. Jessie Marion King is a Scottish artist and illustrator known for her delicate pen and ink art and her soft pastel colors. Her work can honestly just be described as incredibly pretty. During her school years, a at the Glasgow School of Art, she was part of the Glasgow style, which was the beginning of the Art Nouveau style in Scotland during the 1890s. She was also incredibly versatile and talented, not only in illustration, but also in textiles, wallpapers, and ceramics, to name only a few.
the lines were soft and delicate, and they had the same flowiness to it as the art of Beardsley and, and Clark. The intuitiveness and elegance of the lines, which gave to her art an element of careful crafting. She was extremely interested in the romantic tales of King Arthur and the myths of legends and deeply inspired by the Pre-Raphaelites. And has one of the most compelling visual depictions of Guinevere of the era. She created illustrations for the 1904 edition of the, the Defense of Guinevere and Other Poems by William Morris. When I tell you that everything during that era is connected, <laughs> her words have a huge intertextual nature to them, as they not only exist individually, also communicate and play off the text company. It is something that I will probably talk more in depth at a later episode, but, the, but when it comes to book illustrations in general, it is interesting to see how, even if they can exist on their own, only as a pretty image, it is their relationship with the text that sublimes their meaning and existence. Her illustrations of Guinevere connect with a very distinct feeling of statusness that, the, that she had, with the construction of the national identity in a context of colonization and assimilation by the English, as well as the gender politics and turmoils of that specific era. Of course, these worries and issues that are explored in her very specific context as a Scottish woman in the late Victorian and Iran early Edwardians. But art has always been a conduct to explore personal and social issues. It is a way to understand the world and to be understood. By looking at the art of the past, we can understand and analyze what was going on back then. But we can also use that art to start a specific reflection using our very own specific viewpoint. Artistic and art historical analysis is never neutral. It can never be. We all have our own biases and perspectives. And the way we travel this world has, has a huge influence on the way we understand it. So there is no real neutrality nor objectivity. But what we need to do is consciously address our biases and perspectives and reassess them constantly. And I hope we can always do that with great empathy and compassion for each other. And with hope of bringing something better to this world and not to perpetuate unfairness, but to promote understanding and nuance. No matter if softer or slightly edgier, there is something to be said about the power of the simple line. It can be used to bring either decadence and eroticism or horror and gothic, or simply to enchant. The line is the most straightforward tool in an artist's toolbox, but it can be used for so many things, 
and it can also be a mean of communication for political users. In Mexico of the beginning of the 20th century, there was a vibrant printing culture there. From the 1900s until the 1950s, up until the 1950s, and it was a culture that was mainly dedicated to art that was linked to a social cause used by a leftist government and socialist activist to further their agenda. The use of print has been used since its inception to disseminate ideas and specific viewpoints of, on all spectrums of human opinions printmaking got better and more fine, and especially the one black and white ink art. As Mexico has one of the oldest printing cultures in America, dating all the way back to the 16th century, it had a huge appreciation for ephemera and graphic design. Illustrators such as Jose Guadalupe Posada and Manuel were extremely popular in their times depicting subjects that were close to the general public and were appreciated by a wide audience. I have talked about printmaking so far, mostly related to a more casual use, use of the technology, to illustrate books and stories, but in the print presses of Mexico, the, the use of the black and white art was meant for a more revolutionary purpose during the first half of the 20th century. Once again, the simple fact that the prints and illustrations were, was such a cheap and easily accessible medium and could be easily distributed across the people really explains its role in such revolutionaries and popular movements from Mexico, but also to the rest of the revolutionary and independence movements during the first half of the 20th century. The printed medium played a heavy role in the Mexican Revolution that ran from 1910 to 1920, and it's always important to remember that being able to easily access accurate information is a crucial part of moving forward and overthrowing abusive systems. The art of print is one that is easily accessible and straightforward to understand, especially where image is rapidly becoming the main method of communication. Visual literacy and how images are understood by people is thus a skill that needs to be honed and especially as images will leap and move across language barriers in a way nothing else can. Sometimes a simple drawing, some simple drawing of black lines will be more efficient at communicating a single concept than words. After all, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. Before we go, I put a bunch of relevant resources on today's subject in the show notes. As always, all the relevant images will also be on all of our social platforms at imaginarium underscore pod on Instagram as well as on Twitter. This podcast was written, narrated, and produced by yours truly, Meja.
If you want to support this podcast, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com slash The link is always in the description as well. I want to take this opportunity to thank my patrons, Meli, Divya Sala, Swanita Pechin-Yan, Jar Samhurst, Jenny, Jamison Dredd, as well as Natalie. Thank you so much for making the work I do with this podcast possible. Today's recommendation of the day is North and South by Elizabeth Gastel. I recommend both the book as well as the 2004 miniseries starring Richard Armitage. Both of them are excellent. It is basically a romance, but there is a lot of issues of labor and unions and uh, class difference. So if you want to check it out, please do. On this, I wish you all a very lovely day, evening or night. And I hope to see you again very, very soon. Thank mm-hmm. you.